You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Lots of people these days, brothers and sisters, call themselves doctors. Of course, medical practitioners call themselves doctors, vets, even dentists call themselves doctors. The true doctors, um, they would always argue, are the doctors of philosophy. But we have, of course, spin doctors, and you look in your uh, phone directory or, or whatever, and you've got stove doctors and, and phone doctors. And in fact, as we drive here to the hall, we drive past a uh, motor mechanic who calls himself the Subi doctor. Doctors are all around us, and they, uh, the, the word originally has nothing to do with practicing some form of medicine. It is derived from the Greek word didaskalia, which we read this morning in uh, second, uh, the second epistle of uh, John. And that's from that word didaskalia, that's where we get the word didactic or teaching or instruction, and that's where our English word doctor comes from. And in Second John, it has been uh, translated as the word doctrine. So doctrine is actually the word doctor. So this word didaskalia is used a number of times in the New Testament. It's trans- usually translated as doctrine, but it's also translated as learning and teaching. And this morning we want to have a look uh, at some thoughts which spring out of that uh, reading, our daily reading for today in uh, the second epistle of John. So let's just reread those couple of verses um, just to bring those to the front of our minds. Verses 9 and 10. John says in his, in his usual very confronting way, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, that's our, that's our word, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So he paints it both a positive and in a positive and negative way, and then he goes on in verse ten. And if there come unto you any, uh, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't welcome him, is what he's saying. If someone doesn't have this doctrine of Christ, that's so fairly, it's fairly important thing as far as John is concerned, isn't it? Very confronting the way that he works. John always has something very challenging for us uh, to say in his epistles and, and uh, in his gospel, and, and this is no exception. John mentions here this doctrine of Christ, and, but he sort of leaves us hanging a bit because he doesn't really elaborate on exactly what it is. He says it's, it's really important. You've got to have it. Don't welcome anyone in your midst who doesn't have it, but he doesn't actually tell us exactly what it is. So we have to do a little bit more investigation uh, to find out uh, exactly what he means. I suppose if I asked everyone in the room here, what do you think this doctrine of Christ is? You know, just you know, give me a dot point <coughs> summary of what you think this doctrine of Christ is. I, I suspect we'd probably all give similar but different answers perhaps you know we might say well the doctrine of Christ it's it's a unique set of beliefs you might think or say it's what makes us who we are it's what makes us not uh, a Roman Catholic or a Baptist or a, or a Methodist or something like that or you might 
express it slightly differently and say, well, it's the true teaching of Scripture, summarised by the BASF. It's the Gospel. And if they were our answers, they are all quite correct. They're all good. They're an expression of Bible truth. And indeed, Titus, oh, let's come back uh, just briefly to Titus. Uh, we'll just be moving around a little bit in the New Testament today. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. We read there, holding fast the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So this is our this same idea. Sound doctrine, sound teaching. That's what um, uh, Paul is telling us here in Titus. But if we think that that's all it is, we're sort of really only understanding half of the story as far as what the doctrine of Christ actually is. If we think it's just our set of beliefs, if it's just our beliefs summarised in the BASF, well, we're sort of only half got the story because the New Testament tells us that it's a bit more, actually a lot more, than just teaching or, or printed words on a page. Our Lord Jesus gives us a bit of a clue that there's much more to sound doctrine than just an academic grasp of Bible truth. Let's come back to the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 and verse, we'll start at verse 7. He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honour me with their lips, but, with their, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Say a word again, didascalia. And, it, and in fact, in, in that verse, uh, is, is a very clever play on words that our Lord uses. He, he says, teaching, uh, sorry, teaching for doctrines, those two words are almost identical, just slightly different. Okay, so a very clever play on words that, uh, that our Lord uh, used there, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. But here we start to get the idea that doctrine, this teaching, impacts on worship. It impacts on our relationship with God because if we adhere to the wrong set of teachings, the wrong set of doctrines, then Jesus describes us as vain and as hypocrites. And in fact, the very fact that Jesus accuses such people of being hypocrites gives us a clue to what the whole idea of doctrine or the doctrine of Christ is all about because he uses that term hypocrites. Well, it's a, it's a word that we're well familiar with, but of course in Jesus' day it was a very familiar word, but its understanding was in, in, in the Greek um, uh, usage of it in terms of play acting, a hypocrite. You might have seen or even experienced um, you know, an old uh, Greek tragedy in, in, um, in, as a play. And the hypocrite was the one who had the face mask that would be reversed in order to portray whatever the character was that they were, you know, so it might be a smiling face or an, an angry face on the other side or two different persons. That was the hypocrite. That was the two-faced person. 
but it was also, it, it had a slightly wider uh, definitional usage, and that it was a play actor was someone who was pretending to be someone who they were not. And so that's exactly what Jesus is focusing on in here, uh, in, in this passage. He, he introduces this concept of doctrine being linked to behaviour. Because if we read on, for example, in verses 10 and 11, he said, he called the multitude and, and, and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth defiles a man. So immediately after this little discourse about you know, hypocrites and, and doctrine and, 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 and so on, he talks about behaviour. And that is an important link. Let's carry that a little bit further. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, where we see this link between doctrine and behaviour become even stronger. Romans chapter 6 and verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, that ye were the servants of sin, but that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. So it's all about behaviour. It's not just a set of teachings that frees us. It's about being servants of righteousness. It's that same word didascalia, that doctrine. And so here's this critical link that I hope, if we remember nothing else from this morning, for us to remember that the doctrine of Christ is linked to not just what we believe, it's about what we do. It's about our behaviour. So the challenge to us is that sound doctrine and sound behaviour are not two things that can be separated. They're not two different aspects of this, this idea. They are one and the same. Sound doctrine is sound behaviour based on that correct understanding of what God requires of us. You can't artificially separate those and deal with them independently. They are one and the same. And this is why, brothers and sisters, doctrine is more than much more than just a belief system. The doctrine of Christ is not just the BASF and the unity booklet and the doctrines to be rejected and the commandments of Christ all wrapped into one. It's not just that. And yet it is all of that. Because it is those things reflected in our behaviour, our whole of life behaviour, not just what we do here on a Sunday morning or, or when we're around our brothers and sisters. It's not just an academic acknowledgement of what the Bible teaching is. It is our actions motivated by our beliefs. And, that, and in essence, really, that's what the whole book of James, your, your mind might have already gone to that, uh, the whole book of James is about... That is, that faith without works is dead. Belief in the doctrine of Christ without acting the doctrine of Christ is nothing. It is dead also. James recognised that the doctrine of Christ is one of those things, or rather both of those things, together. Take one element away and the other is meaningless.
Paul uses the idea of doctrine and behaviour extensively in Timothy and Titus also. We've already looked at it in, uh, briefly in Titus. Let's, um, uh, let's come to uh, his words in Timothy. Let's have a look at 1 Timothy this time. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 11 um, to 16. I might struggle to read that because my version of the Bible is a little bit dog-eared here. I'm going to lose a few words. Um, let's see if I can get through it. Otherwise, I'll have to revert to the phone, which is down there. Um, see, oh, thank, thanks, Jeremy. First um, Timothy chapter four, verse eleven: These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. In love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Okay? Same word again. Neglect not that gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save uh, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thank you. Much clearer on there than on my page here. Um, yes, yeah, so he, he, here he talks about can, yeah, this, this doctrine of Christ and to continue in them, meaning to practice them, to save yourself and to save those that hear you. So this doctrine of Christ, it's all about belief and behaviour, and it's not only, as we see from that passage, it's not only about saving ourselves, it's helping to save one another, our family, our brothers and sisters, in our own ecclesia and throughout the world. That doctrine of Christ is so important. So we can save others by our behaviour. And this has happened time and time again, hasn't it, brothers and sisters? I, I, I guess we probably all know of examples um, where um, non-believers have been so impressed, not by a set of beliefs that the Christadelphians might have, but by the behaviour of uh, people that they know. Something motivates them, and so they have inquired as to, uh, what is it that motivates you? I want to know more about that. And there are many brothers and sisters who have been converted by the behaviour of, um, of, of brothers and sisters. And, and that is, is a wonderful thing. I mean, it's just a demonstration of what we all know, isn't it? That actions speak louder than words. They always have and they always will. And that concept was never more strongly tested and strongly proved, brothers and sisters, than during times of duress, times of extreme uh, difficulty and trial. And the one that always comes to, to mind for me is um, you know, that, that concept, of, concept of conscientious objection, which the younger ones here have no knowledge of. Um, in fact, we were just listening to uh, Brother Steve's got a, a podcast series on, uh, the, uh, on, on doing some interviews with uh, Christadelphians in this regard. Uh, on conscientious objection and he references that um, uh, a book which um, was published and if you don't have it I'd strongly recommend that you get it and, and have a look at it uh, and, and listen to the, um, the CD of uh, some of the interviews of brothers and sisters who were involved in that uh, called Conscience in Action 
during those times of conscientious objection when brothers, well, it was mainly brothers in those days, who were brought before magistrates, they were brought before um, uh, judges to uh, plead their cause that they had a conscience against uh, participating in military service. And what, those, what comes out time and time again, when you speak to any of the brothers uh, that were involved in that and when you listen to their uh, records and you read those, um, uh, those things in books like Conscience in Action, you realise that what the, what the judge, what the magistrate was interested in was not so much what they believed. It was how they behaved. Did you, do you practise what you profess? Do you really have a conscience about those things that you are telling me that you believe. And so they would be asked questions like, why did you join the Christadelphian church, as they would refer to it? Isn't your recent acceptance of the tenets of this sect the result of your desire to escape your obligation to your country? Well, perhaps not such a difficult question to answer, but maybe, maybe it would be if it had a, a ring of truth to it. But they would ask questions about their behaviour. Do you regularly attend your ecclesia? Can you produce, you need, they needed to produce a record of their attendance. What active part do you take in your church apart from just attending services? How much of your time do you give to that work? And there were so many questions along those lines. And what sort of Recreation do you get in, uh, do you, um, uh, participate in? What things do you read? What do you watch? All of those sort of questions uh, were answered and they would drill down and really make them, uh, really make the candidate squirm. And similar questions and perhaps even more difficult for unbaptised uh, because unbaptised young men were brought before those tribunals. Well, it was much more difficult for them to prove that they had a conscience about not participating in military service if they hadn't actually taken the steps of baptism. But be that as it may, these questions were put to, to them to determine whether they had true doctrine, whether they had the doctrine of Christ, a set of beliefs that manifested itself in behaviour in everyday life. And so that then leads us to these thoughts uh, from our readings uh, from today. Let's come, just come back to 2 John again where we started in 2 John and verse 9. But first of all, uh, we'll just uh, go back to um, verses 5 and 6 before we come to verse 9. He says, Now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, that that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. And this is the commandment, that as you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So we should already start to get from that idea, from those verses, that his idea of the doctrine of Christ was linked to that behaviour to practice our belief. And so we read again in verse 9. Now that we've got a bit of an idea, we've, we've seen uh, Paul and others explain to us what this doctrine of Christ actually is. Let's, let, let's read that again. Whoso transgresses, this is verse 9, whosoever transgress, 
transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So he doesn't beat around the bush, does he, brothers and sisters? He doesn't say, well, you say you've got true doctrine, you believe in the gospel message, um, you say you've got a conscience, that's okay, I'll accept you, I'll let you get off with that. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, he's a bit like the judge at the military tribunal, isn't he? He's a bit like the cross-examiner, and we're on trial, brothers and sisters. And we saw that in verse 1, uh, sorry, in, in, um, uh, uh, in those couple of earlier verses uh, where he actually describes, um, you know, that it is linked to the behaviour. If we come back to the first epistle of John, just back a few pages, and come to chapter 1, here, here John in his very hard-hitting style um, talks about you know, this fact that our behaviour has to match our belief system. Verse 6 of chapter 1, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We don't do the truth. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And, and we could go on and on and on. John is so ruthless with us, isn't he, brothers and sisters? If we say, talk is cheap, he says. John cuts away all those superficial layers that we like to envelop ourselves in. He drills down till it hurts, as, uh, is, which is one of my favourite expressions. He gets to the heart of the matter. Chapter 2, verse 4. He that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him if our actions don't match with our words. Um, we could go on and on, and, and, uh, and, and I, I will spare you. But John doesn't spare us. And he declares that if we don't match our actions with our beliefs then we are in darkness we're liars we're deceivers we have no truth in us now brothers and sisters depending on where we are this morning as we come here and what our state of mind is uh, with these um, these these words that john is delivering to us for some of us this challenge could be very very stimulating we think that well, it's just the sort of thing that i need to to prompt me to you know more consistent behavior something to spur me on to a more godly way of life but for others that are in the hall here who or who might be streaming in for others who are feeling a little weak a little vulnerable a little or maybe a, a whole lot guilty about being hypocritical in our in our actions in our behavior then we might find this message completely devastating the final straw the final realization that we are living a lie living a sham because we know that we constantly fail and how could god ever be interested in me and how could he ever accept me into his kingdom well brothers and sisters if we are feeling like that don't despair we have all felt like that uh, from time to time from to a greater or lesser degree we are of course all acutely aware of our unworthiness and and john doesn't mean for us to just throw up our hands in despair and say it's all too hard i can't live the life i can't do what you're saying here john he doesn't mean for us to do that at all because if we come on to 
for example, in chapter 2, 1 John 2 and verse 25, see what he says there. This is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. It's a promise of eternal life. And God doesn't make promises lightly. Verse 28, Now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, brothers and sisters, confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How do we abide in him and have confidence in him? How do we do that? What's he talking about abiding in him? Well, I think he is very directly referencing back to his, his gospel message. Let's come back to that in, in, in the gospel of John at chapter 15. Let's have a look at that because he actually goes into that quite extensively. And we're going to read quite a little chunk of that first 14 verses. And just let us understand what John means by um, abiding in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears not fruit, he purges, that it may bring forth more fruit. And now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. Here we go. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for, my, for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So the picture there, brothers and sisters, is of us abiding in Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. We gain our nutrition, our nourish, nourishment from him. He is the, the stock. He is the root. He is all of those things. And all we have to do is stay attached and that's an analogy that uh, the apostle paul uses in other ways you know we looked at some of those um you know those maritime metaphors of staying a attached but but the lord's analogy here is of us being branches of him of the vine and he knows that we're not going to be perfect and he knows that we're going to have damaged fruit and we he knows that we're going to have withering uh, leaves from time to time but we've just got to stay attached We've got to be part of him. We've got to be part of that vine. We've been grafted in at baptism, brothers and sisters, and we get that nutrient from, from God, from our Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit that we bear is actually his fruit, of course, because 
You know, as even our Lord said in back in verse 5, for without me ye can do nothing. It's all about Christ working in us. So this whole section of John 15 is really a detailed, ex uh, a detailed exposition of this doctrine of Christ that we've been looking at that, that sprung out of our daily reading for today in 2 John, which John picks up on in that... Um, and where he tells us there is no need to be despondent. Yes, our calling is high. Yes, it, yes you know, God wants our very best of us. But he understands that we will fail, that we do fail. But we've just got to hang on. We've got to stay grafted in. Receive his succour, his nutrition, his strength, so that we can confidently look forward to his return. We'll just come back to First John again. Just a couple of final references there as we uh, draw our thoughts together. So we come back to... First John, first epistle of John, chapter two again. And we'll read in verse twenty-eight, which we looked at a moment ago, but we'll read on through to the uh, beginning through the beginning of the next chapter. First John two verse twenty-eight. Now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence. Here it is again, and not be ashamed before him at his coming, if Ye know that he is righteous. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So brothers and sisters, let us now take those emblems that we have here this morning to remember that one that we have attached ourselves to, the one that we are grafted onto. Let's not be despondent in acknowledging our failings. Let's do that with an open and honest heart. But let's be confident in the sin-covering name of our Lord Jesus Christ and his promise of salvation to those who continue to abide in him. Those that endeavour to practice the doctrine of Christ. Let's make it our, our determined effort in the week ahead that our words match our actions. Or we could say it the other way around, that our actions match our words. That our talk is not cheap. That we profess our love of God by doing his commandments. That we profess our love of our brethren by seeing to their needs. And that by our actions we save not only ourselves, but those around us. We look to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who did exactly that. And that's what we come to remember right now in those emblems. In the act of saving others, he saved himself. But he came to save sinners. That's what Paul tells us. The Lord Jesus came to save sinners of whom he saw himself as chief. And here we have him represented as that perfect didascalia, the perfect teacher, the perfect doctor, the perfect example of combining true belief and true practice. And as we, as we put our hands to those uh, emblems, to the bread 
and the wine this morning, let us determine that as we go into this week ahead, that we, above all, will remain grafted to him. So finally, just a few verses from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Hereby perceive we the love of God, well, should actually, hereby perceive we the love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and see his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, 
Most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.